Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So where we're going to La Tuna, into the Sierra and the, in the Golden Triangle, how dangerous is it? Well, it's uh, it's not going to be, you, you, you will not see that kind of danger in which your life will be in actual danger. But it is dangerous because uh, they might block the access. Uh, I remember this time that I tried to go to La Tuna and I was stopped by maybe 20 gunmen and they asked me, what are you doing here? And I said, you know, I'm a journalist. We heard there is a war going on here and people are, are getting killed. And he told me that you basically told me, you know, just go back to where you come from, because uh, this is uh, dangerous for you. There is uh, there are shootings all over, so we don't want you to get hurt. So just go back. I feel like our lives are quite quite literally in your hands. There's like a high level of trust between us and you, and we have a lot of faith that you, this is going to be okay because you say so. I'm going to be your own personal Jesus Christ. Trust me. <laughs> I'm, I can worship the, the church of Miguel Angel. <laughs> I feel like you say that to all the journalists. <laughs> no, you're my first. <laughs> Your own personal Jesus. Episode 2, The Legend. It's June 16th, and we've just left the city of Cuyacan. We are going to La Tuna Badiraguato, but Badiraguato is a municipality in the state of Sinaloa. And, you know, it's in the middle of these mountains and this region known as the Golden Triangle. It's a region known for growing marijuana and poppy. And La Tuna, it's like in the middle of these mountains, and that's where El Chapo was born. We've been in the car for about two hours, and we turn off the highway onto this dirt road. By the way, we have left the pavement behind and are now on what is a very muddy dirt road that has uh, basically small ponds of water at some points. Ponds? That looks like a lake, <laughs> Keegan. <laughs> You're offending the poor lake. <laughs> okay, remember I told you I was from a, a small town that's in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. I was wrong. It's not like this. <laughs> <laughs> This is the real thing, eh? We're going to La Tuna for a bunch of reasons. Not only is it El Chapo's hometown, but these mountains are considered the birthplace of the Mexican drug trade. Almost all of the top leaders of the Sinaloa cartel came from here. It's not like there are hotels, so Miguel Angel is setting us up to stay with a guy who's related to El Chapo. I mean, La Tuna is a small town of less than 50 families living here. And it's safer for us to stay with people related to El Chapo. Also, this guy can help us with access to the family. The roads are rough. There's very limited cell phone service or internet. The military patrols some areas, but for the most part, it's under the control of cartel factions. The idea behind us going to La Tuna is to see what that's like on the ground. Tell us about the the first time you came to La Tuna. 
I was afraid. I was thinking, oof, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm coming back. So I almost was willing to ride the wheel. <laughs> I, I'm serious because, you know, you, you hear so many stories about these people from the mountains that you don't, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what to, what, what's going to be the outcome. You don't know for sure if you're going to make it back. Up into the forbidding majesty of the great Madre range go men. This area has been pretty infamous and seen as being lawless since long before El Chapo was born. Take a look down that mountain. This means all our funerals. If you're into classic Hollywood movies, it's that place where Humphrey Bogart got into trouble while prospecting for gold, in the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Oiga, señor, we are federales. You know, the mountain police. If you're the police, where are your badges? Badges? We ain't got no badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges. The drug trade here dates back to the late 1800s, and surprise, the U.S. played a big part in how it came to be. American companies back then were relying on immigrants from China to build railroads and work in mines. But in 1882, Congress passed the Chinese Exclusion Act, which banned Chinese laborers from the U.S. Many of those workers ended up in northern Mexico, doing the same jobs. And some brought opium poppies with them for personal use. And then the people of this region learned how to refine poppy gum into heroin, which they start to sell. Keep in mind, up until the 1920s, heroin was legal in the U.S. and Mexico. And now, roughly 100 years later, most of the heroin in the U.S. comes from Mexico, and the Sinaloa cartel dominates that market. Well, La Sierra is a lot more advanced today. Like, more families have electricity and four-wheel drive cars, but things like the roads aren't much better than they were, like, 100 years ago. Because the government doesn't really seem to care about this region. And it's actually the drug lords who try to take care of things since they are the ones living here. Which is why these guys are so respected and people protect them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn off the AC guys and roll, roll down the windows, please. Yes. Just, you know, so people yeah. that are going to be watching us, they can see inside how many people we are. And there is a woman here also. Are we close? No. <laughs> we are about to pass through the hometown of this guy, El Azul, another very famous Sinaloa truck lord and a very close friend of El Chapo's. Oh, there's a burro. Un burrito. We're going around a little bend in the road and suddenly it's completely blocked. Can you, can you put it down this thing? Oh, I'm sorry. You want me to take them off? Yes. Keep rolling now. There are four guys. They're wearing tactical vests and holding AK-47s. Basically, they're checking out who we are, okay? The last time I was stopped here in Tunisiopa. Mm -hmm. Is like the checkpoint into the mountains? Yeah, this is, this is, well, obviously they're not vigilantes. They are like, you know, they belong to a clan. For sure, it's a El Chapo, you know, like they stop that man. They're asking who you are, what are you doing here? And they're gonna do the same with us. And I just put on my press badge just in case yeah. that's necessary. They're gonna tell us, you know, if we can go or if we cannot go. If, if they tell us not to keep going, definitely we will go back. 
Buenas, ¿qué tal? Culiacán. Vamos acá a San José del Barranco. Gracias. Maybe he was like 17 years old. Yeah, he was young. He seemed really sweet. Well, he's not. <laughs> his, uh, the cuerno de chivo around his neck uh, said not sweet. His smile said sweet. Goat horn is what they call the AK-47. A few minutes after we pass through the checkpoint, we know we're getting close to Chapo's hometown. Oh my God, that guy looks was that Chapo? so much that like Chapo. That was Chapo's brother. Are you serious? I'm serious. He looked exactly like him. That's El Chapo's brother. Wow. Well, you, you, you just saw El Chapo's brother, Miguel Angel. He, he had on the, the black baseball cap. He had a thick black mustache. That was like the spitting image of Chapo that drove, just drove by us in a green Ford pickup truck. Yeah. El Chapo has a really big family. After he got extradited, his brothers and sons fought over who would lead his faction of the Sinaloa cartel. The brothers ended up winning, and now they control this part of the mountains. The guy we passed is named Miguel Angel Guzman. But the big boss in this area is a different brother, a dude named Aureliano, who everybody calls El Juan. They all grew up in Latuna. You see that house over there? The red one? Yeah. Yeah. That's Latuna, actually. Oh, wait. Oh, that's Latuna? That's, that's uh, Latuna. And that red house, the orange house, it's, uh, it's El Chapo's mother. Chapo's hometown sits in a really dramatic valley. It's these green hillsides covered in pine and oak trees. Latuna is tiny. It's really more of a village. There are only a dozen or so houses, but the one that belongs to his mother is definitely the nicest. And this is this chapel. It's the church that uh, his son built for her. Oh, right here. Yeah. It's a nice, uh, like, teal-colored paint job and fresh yeah. white paint. So just it's a very cross. nice building, just across the street from his mom's house. When we get closer, we notice all these brand-new pickup trucks in front of her house. There are a lot of people coming and going, and they're carrying guns. Probably the reason is that about two years ago, a gang that was fighting with El Chapo broke into her house and stole cars and threatened people. So now they have more guys protecting her. The house that we're staying at is right down the road, maybe 50 yards away. The guy who lives here is named Chema. Yeah, so Chema is the son of Chapo's cousin, but he calls El Chapo his uncle. Uh, the red one? Yeah. So we are here, guys. Let's just get off the, get off the car without nothing and just, you know, mm-hmm. to present ourselves. Then we can get for the whole thing. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Do you want me to leave this in the car? Yes. We leave our gear in the car and walk a few steps down the road to Chema's place. It's a single-story house he built himself out of adobe bricks. Yeah, that house is beautiful because of the bricks and because it's on this hillside. You can see everything, like the mountains and the sky. There's livestock out in the yard, and inside, Chema's wife is standing over a wood-fired stove. Their son is there. He's maybe seven or eight years old and wearing a Mickey Mouse T-shirt. It's Saturday. Our plan for the next day is to interview Chapo's mother after church. Other journalists have been able to catch her right after the service ends. Yeah, I've sat uh, through the four-hour sermon many times, but in this case, I asked Chema if he would arrange an interview for us. 
Yeah. We don't, if we don't do this, then we can skip mass tomorrow? Yes, I have a couple. About half an hour after we arrive, Chema goes up to Chapo's mom's house. When he comes back, he tells us to wait on the patio outside the church. A few minutes later, we see her gate open. Then a truck rolls down the hill and comes to a stop in front of the church. Chapo's mother gets out. Her name is Consuelo Luera. She's got gray hair and a ponytail and wireframe glasses. She's close to 90 and needs some help walking. Her granddaughter, Chapo's niece, who looks to be in her late 20s, is also with her. And it's clear right away that Consuelo isn't thrilled to see us. Well, she doesn't like journalists. She did a TV interview a while back and didn't like how she was portrayed. We had all sorts of questions, but we essentially just showed up at her doorstep and she didn't want to say too much. So we asked her about her son when he was a boy. She's saying he's always been a really hard worker. There's this whole mythology around Chapo's early years in the mountains. Part of the origin story is that his family was dirt poor and that his first job was selling oranges by the side of the road. She says, yeah, he sold oranges and bread she made. Apparently, he also farmed fruits and vegetables, and he got a store in a nearby town to sell him snacks and candy on credit. Then he sold that stuff too and started a little business for himself. She's saying, to me, he's a good son. He's very loved here, and people adore him. Chapo being in prison is clearly hard for her. She tears up talking about how the family isn't allowed to visit him. She's saying the government took advantage of uh, him and did whatever they pleased with him, uh, but this was unfair. But she also believed that God is on his side and that the best lawyer he could ever have was God. Chema is sitting with us during the interview. He says that things have gotten worse since Chapo has been gone. He says ever since El Chapo was put in prison, everything has gotten worse here in Latuna. A lot of violence, kidnapping, crime, but also more poverty and hunger. Why do we have water, he says, because of El Chapo. Every time I open the faucet, I think of him. Chema and others in this region feel totally forgotten by the government. And they rely on campaigns like El Chapo to provide basic services like clean drinking water. Before we left for Latuna, I told Chapo's lawyer in the U.S. that we wanted to speak to Chapo's younger sister, Bernarda. He said he'd let her know, but couldn't promise us anything. Bernarda is one of the only people who's been allowed to visit Chapo in federal jail in New York, other than his lawyers. And she agreed to talk to us. I didn't think we'd get that interview. 
because she never talks to journalists. So we were very lucky. Bernardo was able to see Chapo once last year. But then the U.S. revoked her visa, and she hasn't been allowed back into the country since. Bernarda says an official told her she couldn't come anymore because of her association, because she was related to El Chapo. She kept coming back to the conditions her brother is being kept in, that he's in solitary confinement and can't see anyone in the family except his seven-year-old twins. He's not allowed outside, and she says the air in the jail aggravates his asthma. Is, is there a, a, a story from his childhood that you remember that sort of sums up the type of person that he is, um, who, who, he, who he really is? Bernarda says when they were younger, El Chapo used to get up early on Sundays and go and visit people, family, and put on his fake gold jewelry. The fake gold would turn his skin green, but he looked so nice and so happy, so he was really fun to be around. And the thing is, she says, even if he stayed out late, he would always be ready early to work. Bernarda is a few years younger than Chapo. And in the mid-70s, when Chapo was around 17 or 18, Mexico, with the help of the United States, started cracking down hard on the drug trade in the Sierra. The U.S. had just launched the modern war on drugs. The DEA was still a new agency. The Americans pressured Mexico to stop drugs coming from the Golden Triangle and towns like Latuna. The Mexican military went in and started burning marijuana fields and nabbing poppy farmers. It was called Operation Condor. She says soldiers knocked down doors, raided homes, beat up people, uh, that they detained people and made them disappear, that they beat people to death. She says people were just terrified to see soldiers show up in this little village. The nights were pitch black and there was no light. We heard the barking of dogs in the dark and we knew it was them, the soldiers. They went around storming in the houses. They didn't care about families or children or anything else. Human rights abuses by the military during this time have been extensively documented. And Bernarda says that El Chapo was one of the victims. She says he was beaten in front of his mother and that there was nothing they could do about it. We couldn't verify what Bernarda said, but what she described squares with the historical record. It was right around this time that Chapo got into the drug trade, growing marijuana and poppies. Yeah, because back then he was very young. He was just getting started. The big traffickers at that time from Sinaloa, the military operation really didn't slow them down. They ended up just moving into other parts of Mexico, and Chapo followed him. We talked to Bernarda for a long time. At one point, it started to rain really hard. You can hear it on the sheet metal roof. When the rain starts to let up, I ask her about how the government treats the people of Latuna now. When the government comes now, they usually treat us well. When I push a little bit further and mention reports of military operations in the area right around here, she says that used to happen, but it was a long time ago. Yeah, we, we heard uh, it happening in other places, she says, but not here. Why do you think they, they leave you alone? I guess they know who lives here now. 
obviously, she's El Chapo's sister, and this is her personal take on life in the Sierra. Near the end of our talk, she says the media always portrays this place as violent and dangerous. But according to her, it's not like that at all. But the thing is, right as we're talking, I can literally see a man go by on an ATV carrying what looks like a portable grenade launcher. Just a few minutes before, I'd seen a truck full of men all dressed in black and carrying AK-47s. It's pretty clear there are armed men all over the place. How many armed people do you think are up there? 50, Honestly? 50, 100? No, 100. At least 100, and you know, heavy shit. There's also like an armed guy patrolling, just like walking along the patio up there doing the perimeter at Chapo's mom's house. It turns out it's the birthday of El Chapo's brother, El Juano, the guy who now controls the Sinaloa cartel here in the mountains. And from the looks of it, they're throwing him a big party up at Chapo's mom's house. That's the reason there is so much action in town. There is definitely extra security around to protect the boys. Wait, I didn't hear. We're not invited to the party. <laughs> they were like, she's really not coming to the party. You guys really wanted to go to that party, huh? I mean, it would have been a bad idea for various reasons, but yeah, obviously we really wanted to go. Well, it happened, bro. Sorry. So instead, we thank them for their time, and as they're leaving, Bernarda offers, or rather insists, on sending food from the party down to us. Actually, we should go back to the house. We end up back at Chema's house, talking about American movies. Chema's a big fan of Sylvester Stallone. We can hear a band playing Norteño music, and we go outside to listen. Chapo's mom's compound is all walled off, so we can't see inside, but people are hollering and having a good time. Outside the gate and on the roof, there are a bunch of armed guards with AK-47s. We catch a glimpse of the band as they take cigarette breaks between songs make out that they're all wearing these matching red suits with black cowboy hats. I had read enough about Latuna to have, I feel like, a pretty decent handle on what to expect. I thought that Chapo's mother's house was going to be a little bit bigger. It's, it's a, the best house in town by far, um, but it's not like a mansion by any stretch. And I knew that there were going to be armed people around. Like, I'd been told that, that Chapo's mother's house had, um, like, masked men with bulletproof vests and automatic weapons outside. But nothing could have prepared me for the number of men with assault rifles and bazookas and weapons. It's insane. We just, I don't know how we ended up here. We certainly <laughs> did not plan it. I did not know that El Juano was going to celebrate his cumpleaños <laughs> on this day. <laughs> the party goes all night and late into the next morning. God, are they still going? I thought it was over. It's like 7.30 in the morning right now and the party is that started around 
probably eight or nine o'clock last night is still going. The musicians are on their on their break, taking a little stroll. They look tired. When we wake up, we can hear machine guns firing somewhere in the hills nearby. It sounds celebratory. Semi-automatic fire. Yeah, I say automatic. Automatic. That's automatic. Of course. That's a, that's a machine gun. That's a machine gun. Yeah, of course. We spend the morning hanging out in Chema's house. His family is getting ready for church. Ah. Let's go, everybody. Let's go, everybody. We go with them for about an hour and then head out. A lot is made of Chapo's humble beginnings. It's a classic rags-to-riches story. People talk about how, after he made it big, he took care of his town in ways that the Mexican government never did. And it turns out there's some truth to that. We drive out of town on one of the few paved roads in this area which we were told was also paid for by Chapo. But we also saw heavily armed men everywhere. Chapo and the people who work for his cartel, they control this area and they call the shots. How did El Chapo go from the boy who sold oranges on the side of the road to the world's most notorious drug kingpin? That's next time. Was it the Cardinal that put him on the map, so to speak, that made his name known to everyone in the DEA, to everyone in Mexico? It was a major event. It was like when the Beatles were at the Ed Sullivan Show. That, that's kind of like it was with, with Chapo. It was Chapo's uh, welcome to the world of fame. You can follow this series on Spotify. Also, there's another version of this podcast, and it's all in Spanish. That show is called El Chapo, El Jefe y Suicio, available for free exclusively on Spotify. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.